Good morning and welcome. It is a rainy, rainy day, and we're glad that we have some dry facilities to meet in. Appreciate so much your presence. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, the passage read a moment ago. I do want to encourage you to be making plans to attend our VBS that begins a week from tomorrow night. A lot of work has gone into this year's VBS. I know a lot of people have been planning and working and appreciate all the efforts that have gone forth, and we hope and pray that we will have a good number present for that. In our study today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31, the passage that Ben read just a moment ago. And the thrust of our lesson today, following Jesus is the right thing to do. I want to call attention to the context of our study today in Mark chapter 10. In verse 17, Mark tells us that a young man approached Jesus on one occasion and said, Good teacher, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus responded by asking him a question, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. He said, You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. The young man then replied, Teacher, all these I've observed from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And Mark says in verse 22, by way of commentary, but he was sad at this word, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words, and Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But looking at them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. It's in light of this scenario that Peter then speaks up. And he says, On behalf of the other disciples, See, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Seems to me that Peter on this occasion is basically asking Jesus in light of the fact that we have left all and made the decision to follow you, then what's in it for us? What do we have to look forward to? So I want to begin by first of all noting the choice to follow Jesus. Peter, of course, as I read just a moment ago, said, See, we have left all 
and followed you. Just what did Peter mean when he said to Jesus, we have left all and followed you? Well, I think a couple of things. First, it's evident from looking at the gospel narratives that the, the disciples were willing to sacrifice all for Jesus. You remember Jesus himself had said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what was it that they willingly walked away from? What did they sacrifice? Well, first, they sacrificed their craft in life, and that is their profession. You recall back in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus came upon Andrew and Peter and James and John. The Bible tells us that they were fishermen. And Jesus summoned them to follow him. And Matthew tells us that Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. It was said of James and John that they left their boat and their father and followed him. So I think about here were some men that willingly walked away from their trade, their occupation, their work. They did so to become, as Jesus would say, fishers of men. They would no longer be fishing on the sea, but rather they would be looking for souls to save. So they walked away from their craft in life, and then I would suggest they walked away from the comforts of life. I would encourage you to read sometime this week, Matthew chapter 10. You recall Jesus sent the twelve out on what, what is typically called the limited commission. And they were to go and to preach the gospel to the house of Israel. And in that context, Jesus talks about some of the things that they had to look forward to. He talked about the persecutions that they would face. The fact that they would be hated by all men for His name's sake. In other words, they would walk away from the comforts of their home life to face persecution and trial and tribulation and difficulties in life. But they did so willingly, didn't they? So you think about the fact that these men literally sacrificed all for Jesus. But then I would also suggest they surrendered all to Jesus. Now you might ask the question, what then did they surrender to Jesus? Well, first and foremost, they surrendered their talents, didn't they? These guys, by way of occupation, they were fishermen, and I would imagine that they were pretty good at their trade. I would suspect that they had done quite well, and yet they willingly walked away from that trade, that occupation, to use their talents or their abilities to further the cause of Christ. Here were men that spent three and a half years with Jesus. When we talk about going to college or going to a university, spending some four to five years learning and trying to grow our base of knowledge. Well, these guys went to what I would call Jesus, the Jesus University. And they had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn a trade that would ultimately benefit the world. They became masters at preaching and teaching the gospel. It tells me that Jesus has the ability to see potential in people, doesn't he? 
Sometimes we sell ourselves short. Sometimes we don't see the abilities that we truly possess in life. And so Jesus was able to take some individuals that just common people, as we would say, and use them in a great way. So they surrendered their talents to the Lord. And then I would suggest they surrendered their treasures to the Lord. Think, if you would, about the money that no doubt they would have made in the secular world. I have a friend of mine that was quite successful in the corporate world or the business world, the world in which we live. And there was a period of time in which he was making quite a bit of money and made the decision to sell everything he had and go to school to become a preacher. He made the remark to me not long ago, he said, you know what, once I decided to become a preacher, I never wanted to do anything else in life. I'm not saying somebody has to do that to go to heaven. But here was a guy that was willing to walk away, not only from his previous occupation, but he was willing to walk away from a lot of money to serve the Lord. And I have no doubt that there'll be many people in heaven because of his efforts. And you think about all the souls that the disciples of Jesus, think about all the souls that they reached with the gospel. So they sacrificed. They sacrificed their talents. They were willing to sacrifice their treasures and their time. It takes time to reach the lost, doesn't it? There are only 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. And so you think about the time and the effort that must be expended in reaching the lost. The psalmist said in Psalm 90, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. To understand that we're only here for a limited amount of time. And we've got to make the most of the time that we have. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. He said, the night is coming when no man can work. In other words, he had a limited amount of time to fulfill the will of God. And so he had to do his best to use every ounce of energy and every minute of every day for the good that he was sent to accomplish. And then I would submit to you that they willingly surrendered their thoughts to the Lord. What's involved in Christianity? It's really taking our minds and shaping and molding our thought process into the thought processes of God. In other words, we want to become more godlike in our behavior, don't we? These men, they had spent a lot of time out on the open sea. They knew their craft. No doubt they made good money. And yet, so much goes into the process of living the Christian life, being what we ought to be. And you think about the thoughts that must govern our lives. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. The minds of these men were literally transformed, and that was done so by the teaching and preaching of Jesus. And then I would suggest they surrendered their tongue to the Lord. Because you see, they became voices for God. On Pentecost Day, Luke tells us that Peter stood up among the other eleven. 
and did what? Preached the gospel. And you remember in Acts chapter 4, when they were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus what they did? The Bible says they said to those who were trying to shut them down, to stifle them in their work, they said, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. So first, there is the choice to follow Jesus. And there's a second thing I see in this text, and that is the compensation in following Jesus. What, what about this compensation? What do we get out of it? Really, that's what Peter is asking the Lord. He wants to know, okay, in light of the fact that we've left all and followed you, what's in it for us? And there are a lot of people in our world today, you talk about Christianity, becoming a follower of God, living for Jesus. They want to know, okay, what's in it for me? Think about how we sell services and products. We try to show the advantages and the strengths of our service or our product because we want people to buy into what we're selling. Well, there has to be something, some advantage to what we're selling. So what about the gospel? Are there some advantages? What kind of compensation program do we have? What kind of compensation can you expect? Well, first I would suggest there is the assurance from Jesus. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 29. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, first, the assurance from Jesus. Can you believe what Jesus says? Can you bank on his word? Is he credible? I would submit to you today when we think about the words of Jesus and the assuring words of Jesus that his words are truth. Whatever Jesus says is truth. Do you remember what he said in John chapter 14? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you recall in John 17, 17 when he said, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So Jesus spoke words of truth. But I would also suggest that his words not only are true, but are trustworthy. In John 10, 35, the Bible says, The scripture cannot be broken. So whenever Jesus makes a promise, whenever Jesus says, Okay, this is how it's going to be. You can bank on it. You can believe it. You can go to your grave with the assurance that all the promises that He has made to you will come to pass. It's a great thought. Now, there's another thing. First, the assurance from Jesus, but then note, if you would, the abundance in Jesus. A couple of things here. First, to realize that those who become followers of Jesus are a part of a royal family. We talk about in our day and time people that are, that are blue bloods. In other words, they are people of royalty. Let me tell you what, if you are a child of God, you are a child of the King, King Jesus. The Bible says He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Peter would say you are an elect race, a royal priesthood. He said you're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession whom he has called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, who were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So you think about, okay, we've chosen to follow you, Lord. So what's in it for us? Well, number one, we're a part of a royal family. We have been saved by the blood of Christ, haven't we? 
We talk about the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said? In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to Him. According to the riches of His grace. So we enjoy the benefits of the death of Jesus on Calvary. We have been saved. Saved ultimately to do what? To serve Him. Not only are we a saved people, but we are a satisfied people. Are you satisfied in your life? You know, there are a lot of folks in our world today, if you were to ask them point blank, are you happy in life? Are you content? Are you satisfied with where you are in your life at this present time? You know what a lot of folks would say? No. No, I'm not happy. I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. A lot of folks like that. Remember in, do you remember the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4? Paul was writing from a Roman prison. And Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am, therein to be content. You know what he was saying? I've learned to be satisfied with life. How then do I enjoy contentment or satisfaction in this life? Here it is, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, the world says you've got to have more, you've got to make more, you've got to do more to be satisfied and content. And what the Bible says is you find contentment in your relationship to the Lord, don't you? So you think about they were saved. Not only were they saved, but they were satisfied. And then they were strengthened. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then what about this built-in support system? Is it not the case that every child of God is supported on a daily basis? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul, in writing from that Roman prison cell, said, The Lord is near. In other words, He's nearby. He's at my side. So, yes, we're a part of a royal family, but we're also a part of a rich family. Listen again to what Jesus said. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. First, I would say, they lived in hope, didn't they? They had hope. How many people in this dismal world feel that the future is nothing but bleakness and darkness? How many folks in our world today, if you were to ask them, what's your vision for the future? What do you see out in the distance? So I don't see anything but heartache and sorrow. Well, what those of us who belong to the family of God see, we see hope because we live in hope. That's what Paul said in Titus chapter 1. We live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Not only do we live in hope of life eternal, we live in hope, yes, because Jesus said you can look forward in the age to come eternal life. Do you remember what John said? This is the promise that he's promised us. 
everlasting life in 1 John 2, 25, we not only live in hope, but we will one day live in, live in heaven. To know that one day we will be together with God forevermore. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? He said, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. So to think that one day, those of us that have made the choice to follow the Lord by way of compensation, heaven. There's a third thing I want you to see in this verse, and that is there will be some adversity in Jesus. Listen again to what he said in verse 30. He said, you shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And then note, with persecutions. Jesus is very transparent in talking about the cost of our faith. How many times have you watched a commercial on television? Or maybe you have listened to an advertisement on the radio. And they'll talk about all the benefits and, and the blessings of their service or their product. And they'll talk about how you need this product or you need this service. And they have it spelled out, all the things that they offer. And then in minuscule writing, they'll have that small print that you can barely read. And they'll have these disclaimers and other things. In other words, they don't want you to see the fine print, do they? They want you to see the benefits. They don't, want to, they don't want you to see the drawbacks, the potential harm. Well, that wasn't the case with Jesus. When Jesus enlisted people to follow him, he let them know right up front. He lets everyone know. It's possible you're going to suffer for your faith. You remember what he said in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Why do people suffer sometimes? Well, sometimes they suffer because of things they've done. Sometimes they suffer because of the things others have done. Sometimes we suffer because of our faith. And Jesus was saying to people of all ages, in every century, in every age, look, you want to follow me? You need to understand there's a cost to be paid. Did the disciples, Peter, for example, did he ever face persecution, trial, and heartache? Yes, he did. You remember in his book in 1 Peter chapter 1? He was writing to Christians who were facing suffering, persecution. He talked about the trying of their faith, being more precious than gold as tried by fire. So, there was a cost involved. But they needed to understand not just the cost of their faith, but the company they kept in the faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You can be grateful that in serving me you've got a reward in heaven. But He said, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As a child of God, when we suffer for our faith, we need to understand we're in great company. We're in the company of people like Peter and James and John. We're in the company of Jesus. We're in the company of all the great prophets of old. Go back and look at the Old Testament prophets. 
Men like Jeremiah and Amos, Elijah and others that faced trial because of their faith in God. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. First, there is the choice to follow Jesus. Secondly, the compensation in following Jesus. And then thirdly, the caution in following Jesus. Look at verse 31. In verse 31, Jesus said, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Two things I want to share with you very quickly here. First, there is no superiority in the kingdom of God. Secondly, there is no seniority in the kingdom of God. In the first century, the Jews looked down on the Gentile people, didn't they? They had no use for the Samaritan people either. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 4, John said, speaking of the Samaritans, that the Jews had no dealings with them. They viewed them as half-breeds. The Jews felt they were better than the Samaritans as well as the Gentiles. They viewed the Gentiles as unclean as, quote-unquote, dogs. That's how they viewed them. And so when you think about the kingdom of God, you have the merging together of people from varying backgrounds, don't you? You've got Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. You've got all these different people coming together in one body to say that it would take a lot of work to blend these people together. Well, it wouldn't be a gross overstatement. Take a lot of work. So you think about it. First, there is no superiority in the kingdom of God. There are no big eyes and little U's. We're all the same. We've all been bought by the same blood, haven't we? You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2.16? That Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. How did he do that? By the shedding of his blood. We're all, sa we're all saved by the same blood. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, It's in him, in Christ, that you have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. So we have all been bought by the same blood. And secondly, we all belong to the same body. It doesn't matter about our educational background. It doesn't matter about our race. It doesn't matter what our age might be. What matters is, are we in the body? Have we contacted the blood? Because you see, once you get in the body, you enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ, don't you? Paul said, know you not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Why do we need to be baptized into Christ? To enjoy the benefits of the death of Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do in death? He shed His blood, John 19, 34 and 35. So when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. And so it's in that body that we're on equal ground. Now I understand we have differing roles and responsibilities in the church as members of the body of Christ, but we're equal in so many ways. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. He said you're all one in Christ. And he said if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. 
So there's no superiority in the kingdom. And secondly, there is no, there's no seniority. Sometimes folks have the idea that because they've been a member of the church for 30, 40, 50 years, that maybe because they are a charter member of a particular congregation, they're better than other people. What Jesus is saying, no, we're all the same. There's no superiority in the kingdom. There's no seniority. We're all the same. Now, I understand that there is a growth process, and you have people that are babes in Christ, and you have people that are maturing in Christ, and then you have some that are mature in Christ. But ultimately, we're all the same. So, here's the question of this hour. Is it right to follow Jesus? Is that the right thing to do? Could I answer that for you? Yes, it is. You will never, ever regret following Jesus. And really, that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Because Peter's asking the Lord, Lord, what's in it for us? And so what Jesus did was to articulate some reasons why being a part of his band of disciples would benefit them. People are going to ask you. They're going to ask you from time to time, what's in it for me as a child of God? And so when they ask you that, you've got a lot of information to convey. And you can tell them firsthand, all the blessings and favors that we enjoy in Christ. We have been pardoned from our sins. We have peace with God. We have the presence of God. We have a prayer life with God. We have the promises of God, the promise of heaven. Let me tell you what, it's worth a lot. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've been asking for a long time, what's in it for me if I follow Jesus? Well, there's a lot in it for you. And ultimately, it's all about heaven. So if you're here today and you have not named the name of Christ, here's what you need to do. Do exactly what they did on Pentecost Day. Well, what did they do? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. If you do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2.47. In the church, you have the hope of life eternal because the Bible says in Ephesians 5.23, Jesus is the Savior of the body. And be faithful. If you'll live faithfully until death, the promise, the assurance is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Won't you come as we stand and sing?